So on this uh, special Christmas Eve service, what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna focus on the story, the beautiful story of the Magi. And so the Magi were a group of men from the East who diligently searched for the Christ child. And once they found him, man, they fell on the floor and they worshiped him with all their hearts. And so this story that we're going to uh, share tonight this story has reached across two millennia of history and impacted so many lives because of the example of these men. It's an example of searching for Christ with diligence, and it's an example of worshiping Christ with passion. And so the title of my message tonight is simply, Let Us Adore Him. Not just the biblical figures 2,000 years ago, but, but today, let us fall down and worship Christ and let us uh, give him the gifts that he deserves and the service that he deserves in our adoration. And so I'm gonna pray out loud. Feel free to have a conversation with the Lord in your own heart, thanking him for this uh, Christmas season. And then uh, we'll, we'll get into our verse-by-verse -verse study. And so let's pray. So Father, we're grateful that we can come to you with authentic hearts, having been filled with the Holy Spirit by your grace, and Lord, I just pray that as I teach and preach your word, that tonight would be a night where your Holy Spirit moves and works in our hearts. Not just with us here in this room, Lord, but with our, our, our kids um, next door. We just ask that you would have free reign. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in the house tonight that has never bowed their heart and knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that tonight would be a night where they have a divine encounter with you. Lord, we admit our desperate need of you. You're our creator, you're our savior, and you're our Lord. And so we recognize and we honor you in this place this evening, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right, and so you're not gonna need your Bible because I'm gonna put all the Bible verses up on the screen as we go verse by verse through Matthew chapter two. And so verses one and two says this, now after Jesus was born, Okay, and so let me stop right there. Of course, the details of the birth of Christ are found in the previous chapter, in Matthew chapter one, and in Luke chapter two. Can I encourage you moms and dads um, that tomorrow, Christmas day, day, can I encourage you to spend some time as a family either in Matthew chapter one or in Luke chapter two. Spend some time around the tree um, in those passages because again, how many of you believe Jesus really is the reason for the season, right? And so my wife and I, yeah, we can, we can clap for the Lord, it's fine. And so a tradition that we've had in, in our family for many years, my wife and I have been married for over 30 years. Um, we've, we've raised three kids who um, now are adults and and uh, they love the Lord, but when, when the kids were growing up, we would always gather around the tree on Christmas morning and we'd open the scriptures before we opened the presents. That's important, mom and dad. Open the scriptures before you open the presents so you keep things in perspective. And dad, you're the spiritual leader, so read Matthew uh, 1, the verses that talk about the birth of Jesus. Read Luke chapter two, the verses that talk about Jesus. Let your kids know um, again, he's the reason for the season. And so it says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, you'll see the importance of that town a little, in a little while. And so after he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. By the way, one of the, one of the many reasons we know the Bible is not legend, but it's historical fact. One of the reasons we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical narratives and not myth is because these are real people in real cities. And um, you can actually go to Israel and you can see the archaeological discoveries that authenticate the word of God, the authenticity of the word of God. And so after Jesus, a historical person, was born in Bethlehem, a historical city, in the days of Herod the king, a historical king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, well, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was and is a very small town, six five or six miles south of Jerusalem. I've been there four or five times, and so um, it still is just a tiny little town, and more importantly, it is the prophesied city of where the Old Testament said that the coming Christ would one day be born. And then it also says that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. And so Herod, again, real historical figure, he was one of the vassal kings in the Roman Empire appointed by Caesar to rule over Palestine. And so Herod was raised Jewish. I should emphasize nominal Jewish, and it didn't take. But he was raised Jewish even though he was an Edomite. In other words, he was a descendant of Esau. You guys remember the whole struggle between Jacob and Esau back in, in Genesis? And so Esau's line contains a man named Herod the Great. Caesar appoints Herod to rule over Palestine, specifically, if you can think of a New Testament geographical map, Idumea in the south, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. That was his region. He ruled over it with an iron fist from 37 BC to 4 BC. Now, Herod was primarily known for two things. This guy was a great builder, and he was also a great tyrant. He was a great builder. His projects included, you know, the second Jewish temple. And so again, if, you know, we go to Israel every two years, we'd love to take you. I would love to take you to the Temple Mount. Of course, the, 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 the temple um, has been destroyed. Not one stone was left upon another, but you can actually see the stones that they threw down, and we'll see that. And so you can, we'll take you to the Temple Mount. We'll take you to Masada, the famous fortress that Herod the Great built. We'll take you to the palace in Caesarea by the sea, at least the archeological remains of that palace right there on the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. We'll see the racetracks and the theater that Herod the Great built. Again, the stones cry out, ladies and gentlemen, because the Bible's not a book of myths. The Bible is real history. And so this guy was a great builder, but he was also, sadly, a great tyrant. This guy slaughtered anybody that he was suspicious of. And so if he thought you were a threat to his throne, or you knew someone who was a threat to his throne, he'd kill you. He killed hundreds of people. He killed his wife, he killed her two sons, he killed his mother-in-law, he killed his own son, his own flesh and blood, five days before the guy died. And so this guy's a monster on the level of Hitler. And so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the prophesied city, in the days of Herod the king, the tyrant, it says, behold, wise men came from the east 
to Jerusalem, the wise men, magos in the Greek from where we get the word magi, okay? And so who were the wise men? Who were the magi? They were part of a political priestly group of men or class of men, and they acted as advisors to royalty. These guys advised Gentile kings um, all around the ancient Near East for centuries, ever since, I think we could trace their roots all the way back to the Babylonian Empire, sixth century BC, you always had the Magi, generation after generation, they were political advisors, they were well-educated in many different areas, and these guys loved to study the stars. And so it says they came from the east, first century history, what does that mean? Well, Roman Empire on the west, on the east, the Parthian Empire, so they're probably from uh, um, the kingdom of Parthia, and they're coming to Jerusalem to find out where's the king of the Jews. And so they get there, they arrive in Jerusalem, they begin asking around, as it says in the last four lines on the screen, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? I mean, Jerusalem is filled with Jews, right? And so they're thinking, Hey, you guys should know, your king has been born. And yet everybody's looking at him like they had two heads. They had, they had no idea. And so, hey, where is he? For we saw his star, in the Greek, aster, I'll come back to that, when it rose and we have come to worship him. And so when they were living back east in Parthia, they saw this strange astronomical phenomena that somehow alerted them that the king of the Jews had been born. Now I gotta give you a quick side note to kind of fill in the blanks. These guys, this Magi group, they were not only influenced by the stars, the study of the stars, they were also influenced apparently by the study of scripture. There's good evidence that the Magi, at least some of them, down through the centuries, were influenced by Daniel the prophet. And if you've ever read Daniel, you know that Daniel gives lots of prophecies in the future. Daniel, who lived 500 plus years BC, gave lots of, under the inspiration of the Spirit, prophecies about the coming Christ. And so the phenomena in the, in the night sky, the prophecies of Daniel alerted these guys to the place where these well-educated, distinguished men packed their bags, got on their camels, and depending on where they started, listen to this, they took a 500 to 900 mile ride, probably through enemy territory, most likely through rough terrain, 500 to 900 miles from where they were in Parthia all the way down to Jerusalem. 500 to 900 miles in search of the king. Some people have a problem driving five to nine miles to church on Sunday. And these guys got on a camel or donkey or whatever and did 500 to 900 miles. That's absolutely amazing uh, to me. And so, by the way, quick side note, another quick side note, there's not just three of them, right? So we wanna just be truthful to the scriptures and there's nothing in the Bible that says there's just three. 
And so the, you know, the Bible says there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so church tradition says there was three kings. There's no evidence these guys were kings either. No, the scripture doesn't say that. I think this was a large caravan, and I think there was guards there. There was guards there because these guys, man, they were a high political position, and so of course they had guards to watch their backs. And so imagine a large caravan going into Jerusalem. They're asking, where's the king of the Jews? And now we see in verses three and four, as we continue verse by verse through the scriptures, when Herod the king heard this, he was, what's the word? Troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, the chief priests were mainly Sadducees that had to oversaw the affairs of the temple. The scribes were mainly um, Pharisees who interpreted and taught the law of Moses. The scholars of Judaism, he assembles them and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You see, as far as Herod was concerned, ladies and gentlemen, he was the king of the Jews. He didn't want any competition. And so when he heard about you know, the wise men coming to his town and the wise men asking all these questions of the people about where's the king of the Jews, he freaked out. And he knew, I've gotta snuff out this threat to my throne, ASAP. And so he says, where, where is the Christ to be born? And we see now in verses five and six, they, the scholars, the Jewish scholars told him in, what's the word? Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written. Come on, Herod. You were raised Jewish. Haven't you read your own Bible? It's right there, right? You know, oy vague. I don't know what they, the Jewish scholars said to Herod, but it's right there in the scriptures. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Now he's quoting Micah 5, 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so during the eighth century BC, right around the time of the Assyrian captivity, a man of God, a prophet from Judah named Micah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote down where the Christ would one day be born, in Bethlehem. And so the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, right, they prophesied that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be of the lineage of King David, who grew up tending his dad Jesse's sheep around Bethlehem, and that he would be born of a virgin. Hmm. Born in Bethlehem, from the line of David, and born of a virgin. Who's the only person in history who ever fulfilled those three prophecies? Jesus. And by the way, there's so many more. Another reason that we know the Bible's not legend and myth is because of the amazing miracle of what's called fulfilled prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen, there are hundreds of prophecies given in the Old Testament, literally fulfilled in history, in the New Testament, and many of those are fulfilled literally in the birth, life, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, you gotta come to grips with something tonight on Christmas Eve. Jesus is real. The Bible's God's word, and we're accountable. 
we have to make a decision where we stand. And so the scholars said that Christ is gonna be born in Bethlehem. Next verse, verse seven says, well then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now stop right there. Why in the world would he you know, secretly meet with the wise men to find out what time the star appeared back east? Well the reason why, he's trying to figure out how old the kid is the newborn king of the Jews. Because supposedly, if the star appeared when he was born, then Herod can do the math and find out how old this kid is so he knows who he's gonna kill. <laughs> and so, of course, we know, I'm not gonna get, have a chance to get to it tonight, but if you read the rest of the story, the wise men don't go back to Herod. They don't tell him about where Christ is and what does he do? He sends Roman troops to Bethlehem and they kill all the baby boys. Do you guys remember how old and younger? two years old and younger. By the way, this is why many scholars believe that the events that we're talking about tonight in Matthew chapter two happened months later after the birth of Jesus. And so what time did the star appear? And he sent them to Bethlehem. And look at Herod the hypocrite here. He says to the wise men, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. What a liar. You really think Herod wanted to worship the Christ child? No, he wanted to kill the Christ child just like he killed anybody who was a threat to his throne. Verses nine and 10, after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star, the aster, that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, look at the response of the wise men. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because they knew they found the newborn king. Do you know how you tell the difference between a fool and a wise person? I'll give you a hint. Herod was the fool the magi were the wise people. The way, the way you tell the difference between a fool and a wise person is how do they respond to Jesus Christ? How do they respond to their creator? How do they respond to their savior? If their attitude is whatever, well the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so, again, we gotta come to grips with the reality and the historicity of this true story. They're so happy, why? Because they saw the star again. The star, the aster that they saw back east now miraculously reappears and it guides them right to the place where the Christ child was living. Now those of you guys who know astronomy and science, by now you obviously um, realize this is not an actual star. Right, stars are way too large to hover over a house. The smallest star, I don't know if you knew this, is 20% larger than the largest planet in our solar system. The smallest star is a red dwarf, it's 20% larger than the planet Jupiter. 
Jupiter's so large, you can fit every other planet in the Milky Way easily into Jupiter. Jupiter's so large, you can fit 1,300 Earths into Jupiter. The smallest star is 20% bigger than Jupiter. So if an actual star hovered over a house in the first century, none of us would be here today to be talking about it. This is not an actual star. The Greek word is aster. And so the word aster is used figuratively to point to anything of shining radiance. Let me say that again. An aster in the Greek is used figuratively in the Bible to point to anything of a shining radiance. And so what in the world was this shining radiance? Well, there are different opinions. I like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And so he says that we believe it to have been a luminous appearance in midair, probably akin to that which led the children of Israel through the wilderness, a pillar of fire by night. How many of you guys have ever read through the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible? So you remember, how did, how did God, how did God um, guide the children of Israel through the wilderness? During the day, he used a what? Do you remember? A pillar of cloud by day. And what did he use by night? A pillar of fire. A shining radiance. And I want you to, if you're with me, say amen here. Here's a beautiful picture that I, I just kind of hit me this week. And you know, I was reading um, an, an amazing commentator. He brought it to light. And I was like, yes, this is so cool. And so in the Old Testament, you have you know, the children of Israel, and you have the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? And you have all the 12 tribes of Israel camped around the tabernacle there in the, in the wilderness. And, and at night, what hovered over the tabernacle? The pillar of fire. Why? Because the tabernacle, specifically the holy of holies in the tabernacle, dwelling between the outstretched wings of the cherubim above the mercy seat was what? the presence of God. Can you see it? Can you see the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, all the 12 tribes camped around, the pillar of fire at night, hovering over the holy of holies where the presence of God is. Now we go fast forward to the New Testament. And what do we have here? In the New Testament, we have a house in Bethlehem. And there's this aster, this shining radiance over the house, why? Because in that house, ladies and gentlemen, is not just a child, in that house is the Logos, the Word. And in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word, help me out, was God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And so, the pillar of fire, a shining radiance, hovering over the house where the, the child Jesus was. And I want you to the whole scene is absolutely amazing. So try to make the Bible come alive, right? In, in your own mind. The, 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 the uh, book of Psalms says, Selah, don't rush through your devotions, man. Just meditate and think, okay? And so imagine this large caravan, right? There's not just three, probably a large caravan of magi. They leave Jerusalem, tens of thousands of people. They make the short trip five, six miles down to little Bethlehem, three or 4,000 people, they believe, and so if they made a big stir in Jerusalem, how much of a stir do you think they made in Bethlehem? And so here they come, and they, they, they're following this aster, this shining radiance, and they pull their caravan up and stop right in, the, in front of the house, not the manger, this is months later, right in front of the house 
where Mary and Joseph are living with Jesus. Can you imagine the reaction of Mary and Joseph? I mean, try to put yourself in their sandals, right? There's Mary looking out the window, and she's like, honey, you're not gonna believe this, but there's a bunch of rich guys, and they're coming up to our door, and there's this shining light for some reason above our house, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and Joseph opens it up, whatever he says, shalom, whatever. And then it says in verse 11, and going into the stable, is that what it says? The, katam, the, the kataluma, where we think Jesus was born with the stable on the bottom and the house, the rooms up top, no. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and now look at this response of respect for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say something real quick? This is not in the notes, but I felt the Lord put it on my heart, so I gotta say it. We've lost our respect for Jesus in our culture. Have you heard about the Christmas special from Netflix? Made in Brazil, I guess a Portuguese-speaking film about a gay Jesus. Netflix. My wife was so mad she canceled it, so we don't have Netflix anymore in our house, but that's what we did. But you know, what's going on in our culture? And some people say, Pastor, it's Christmas Eve. Come on, are you really talking this way? I have to. I have to. Because ladies and gentlemen, we're not a church that tries to make people feel good. We're a church that preaches and teaches the truth and let the chips fall. Okay, so here's the truth. Just, just listen, okay? Let me be very clear, because I don't think I was clear enough in the last service. So let me be super, super clear right now as I flesh this out. Here's the truth. If you're here tonight, or you're listening on Facebook or listening later on our podcast, and you struggle with same-sex attraction, okay, and let me add this part. Not only do you struggle, but you're acting out with either immoral thoughts or immoral actions. Here's what you need to know. Until you admit that what you're doing is wrong, and until you admit that what you're doing is sin, you'll never be set free from that. God's waiting, and here's what you need to know. God loves you. He loves everybody. And by the way, we shouldn't categorize sin as if homosexuality is way up here, and then our little sin um, is down here. No, 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 sin is sin to God, it's vile. But here's what you need to know, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross and pay for your sins. But until you come to the point where you admit that it's wrong, he'll never give you power to set you free. And here's what you need to know. There's been thousands, millions of people who not just struggle but acted out with either immoral thoughts or immoral actions in a homosexual type of lifestyle who turned to Christ in repentance and faith and they have been absolutely set free from that. That's what God wants to do. That's what the Lord wants to do. For any of us in any type of sin, that's what the Lord wants to do. And so we gotta have respect for Jesus. You know, the Netflix film is supposedly, well, not supposedly, it is, a gay Jesus with a pot-smoking Mary. Are you kidding me? It's not, 
It's just, it's just wrong. Okay, and so look at the difference between our culture and the word of God here. It says, and going into the house, by the way, this is why you should come to the last service because I don't have to watch that clock up there. I can just <laughs> keep on going. But, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and look at this, they fell down and worshiped him. That's our response to Christ. After all he's done for us and because of who he is, that's the only response that we should have. And then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts fit for a, a, a king. And so, hey, as these people lay, as these men, these distinguished men lay prostrate on the ground before Jesus, I don't believe little Jesus, you know, was there putting his hands up with a halo over his head, oh, you know, blessing these guys. He's a toddler. He's probably 12 to 18 months old by this time. And so maybe he's walking, maybe he's running. Maybe it's like, oh, there he is by Mary. Oh, there he goes, right? Running around laughing. But here's what you need to know. They hit the deck because they knew they're not just in the presence of an ordinary child. They're in the presence, ladies and gentlemen, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so why did these men worship a child? Why did these men give gifts to a child? I believe, again, it's because of the prophecies of Daniel who influenced them for centuries. Look at what Daniel said. This is sixth century BC. Speaking about the coming Christ. To him was given dominion and glory, and look at this, a, what's the word? Kingdom. Jesus Christ is a king and he's over a kingdom. And I don't really understand how people think that they can't surrender to a king. If they don't surrender to a king, how in the world are they ever gonna make it to the kingdom or be accepted into a kingdom? I just don't get that thinking. But to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion, look at this, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so once again, when the Magi saw little Jesus there, man, they hit the deck, why? Because they knew that that kid is a king, and his dominion is everlasting, and his kingdom is never gonna end. This is what they really believed. Why in the world would distinguished men ever hit the deck for a little kid? They knew that he was special. And that's why they worshiped him. And that's why they gave him gifts. And so do you worship Jesus? Do you give him gifts? My prayer is that it's not just the Magi 2,000 years ago, but our response today is a response of adoration. So in closing, please stay with me, but I wanna read to you a passage from Philippians chapter two. Did you know that Christmas is not just in Matthew 1 or Luke 2, but Christmas is also like in passages like John 1, 1 through 3 and 14, in the beginning was the word, that passage, and also Philippians chapter two. And so listen to the word of God. Have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that word form is morphe, it means the essential nature that never changes. In other words, Jesus is God. 
So though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But look at this, he emptied himself. Okay, this is the incarnation. This is the Christmas story. God became flesh, and when he became flesh, he added a human nature to his already existing divine nature, his eternal divine nature, and he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Not his divine attributes. Jesus never stopped being God. He emptied, emptied himself of his divine privileges. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Do you see the Christmas story? Fully God, fully man. One person, Jesus, but he's fully God and fully man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, look, listen to this, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The God-man went to a cross and he hung between heaven and earth half naked, bearing your sin and my sin in his body on the tree, absorbing the wrath of God against our sin so that we would not have to absorb the wrath of God at the judgment someday. I don't know about you, but that's called love. He took your punishment. What is your response to that? Is it surrender? Is it service? Is it worship? Is it adoration? Oh, come, let us adore him. Now, because he did all that, it says that God the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you come to grips with that fact? He is Lord. Can we say it on the count of three? Jesus Christ is Lord. Go ahead. One, two, three, go. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if he's Lord, what are we doing living for ourselves? If he's Lord, why are we the center of our own universe thinking that everything revolves around us? He's Lord. We're supposed to revolve around him. We should be Christ-centered in our hearts, biblically-centered in our minds, and others-centered in our words and actions. That's what it means to be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today and all this is new to you, or maybe it's been a while, and you look at your life and you say, I'm not living for Jesus. I can't think of a better day than Christmas Eve to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ and start living for him from this day forward. Now before you can become a disciple of Jesus and follow him, you need to meet him. And can I just tell you that that meeting with Jesus, it's all grace. Please don't think, okay, pastor, I hear you, I'm gonna try harder. That never works. Please don't think, okay, pastor, I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. Hey, January 1st, New Year's resolutions. I'm gonna be a good person. Good luck. It's not gonna happen. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, apart from the bad English, it ain't gonna happen. No, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. The Bible says that it's um, for, um, it says, by grace are you saved 
through faith. And that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Religion is all about works. Christianity, it's all about grace. And so if you're going this way and you're, you're a sinner like all of us, and you hear the true message, you stop, you turn around, and you see Jesus on the cross, and you see him paying for your sins, and then you trust, I believe what Jesus did on that cross was for me, and I believe he rose again. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that your faith will heal you. Spiritually speaking, it'll cause the Lord to forgive all your sins. You gotta come to the end of yourself and turn to Jesus. And then his spirit comes in and then you can follow him because you have power to follow him. That's the gospel. And so I wanna ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't wanna embarrass anybody tonight, but I do want to take advantage of this moment because some of you really need to come to Christ. So with no one looking around, if you'd like to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, can I just tell you that a, the words of a prayer cannot save you, but a heart of repentance and faith, God will save you. So if you wanna turn to Christ in repentance and faith, let him know. You can say from your heart to his heart right now, say this to him. If you mean it, say this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I deserve death and hell. But I believe that you paid for my sins and you took my punishment. I know you died and I know on the third day you rose again. Your Lord, come be my Lord. You're the Savior, now come and be my Savior. Forgive all my sins and help me live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And so they call that the prayer of salvation. Prayers don't save. Again, it's a heart of repentance and faith. God sees your heart. We see your faith by what you do from here on out. And so what's the first step of obedience for a Christian who's accepted Christ? The first step of obedience is baptism. I don't know why you know, so many Christians de-emphasize baptism. I know baptism doesn't save, but do you know how you publicly proclaim your faith in Christ? The New Testament way? It's you, you get in some water and you identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and his resurrection. It's a commandment of God. It's a commandment of Christ. And so we're gonna have baptisms on Thursday, January 9th, right here. We have a baptismal pool. And so if you'd like to show your faith through baptism and obey the Lord's command, it'd be an honor for us to baptize you. And so all you have to do is go to our website, calvarypsl.com, click on next steps, click on baptism and sign up and be here and we'll, we'll be here and we'll cheer you on as you make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. I want you guys to know from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I love you guys. I wanna say Merry Christmas to you guys. And now we have an opportunity to worship the Lord by singing Silent Night. And so I'll turn it over to Aaron. God bless you guys. <laughs>